Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, LendingLies.com, and The Garfield Firm. Servicing all 50 states and 24 countries with news and analysis about the largest economic crime in human history. This program is for general information only and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice or consultation with a licensed professional. This show is not intended as a solicitation for the engagement of any services. And now, presenting world-renowned author, trial lawyer, CLE lecturer, and court-approved expert witness on securitization of death, Neil Garfield. Just because the clouds are blocking the sun doesn't mean that it isn't there. Investment banks have been spewing clouds of nonsense to stop us from seeing the light. Once you see it, the path is clear. Hi, this is Neil Garfield, and this is a rainy and unusually cool Thursday, May 13th, 2021. I'm broadcasting live from Duval County, Florida. Everyone wants foreclosure to just go away, except for the investment banks. So people jump at the chance to come to a settlement that will allow them to maintain their ownership and possession of their homestead and preserve their credit rating and their lifestyle, their marriage, and their lives. Settlement, like the alleged loan itself, is a sham, an illusion. If you think I might be wrong, then try making a cash offer for all or more than the amount demanded. Or try accepting their offer, providing you get acknowledgement from the party named as claimant, like, say, U.S. Bank as trustee for the XYZ Trust. As for a signature, from, the, from an officer of the U.S. Bank, something you should always do if you submit interrogatories. Don't accept it from the servicer. How do you know that the servicer is the ser- servicer unless the person answering the interrogatories is from U.S. Bank or whoever the named claimant is, Bank of New York Mellon, et cetera? That's where the rubber meets the road. If you want the offer... If you want to make the offer, they'll turn it down, especially if you demand a release signed by the named claimant. They can't produce that. If you accept the offer and demand acknowledgement and acceptance by the designated claimant, they will reject your request as a counteroffer and say they don't accept. Some judges will accept that, but most won't. Here's another one. If you create or solicit a lender, a real lender, to offer to refinance the transaction that is being called a loan, nobody will give you the usual estoppel information in which they name a creditor. Now, for those who are just investment banks who are behind the so-called Uh, refinance, they will accept the the lack of standard information that's even required by statute in Florida. It's, I think, 701.04. 
But for any real lender, they're going to want to know for sure that they have first priority standing if they pay off that loan. And they're not going to get any of that, any of that assurance. They will only give you the name of a company claiming to be a servicer. But you will never see any assertion or evidence that the com- company that is claiming the status of a servicer has ever received money or dispersed money you paid, which means you don't know that they're really a servicer. They're just saying they are. Things are done in its name. That doesn't mean that they actually have control over anything. The mechanics of that are on my blog, but think of it this way. If you had tens of billions of dollars per month flowing from unsuspecting homeowners, would you allow a thinly capitalized company to actually deposit those funds in their own account? Of course not. And neither do the investment banks, who are the only parties in control of the entire scheme. And if your new lender issues a letter of commitment requiring absolute assurance that they that can be independently confirmed, that the new lender will be paying a creditor who paid value for your alleged obligation, you will end up in court with them making all kinds of excuses for why they should remain in the game. They have no right to. I have a few of those cases. This is not theory, folks. It's practice. How do I know this? Because I have used all these strategies with considerable success. Every time anyone offers you a modification or forbearance, they are actually asking you to act inconsistently with the fact that they have no authority to administer, collect, or enforce the debt. They are asking you to undermine any defenses that you might otherwise raise. So when people ask me about settlement options or an offer they have received, I usually tell them, that first of all, I doubt if there's any honest intent to settle with you. As far as I know, they have no interest in doing so and they are instructed not to do so. They want the foreclosure sale. That's what creates or completes the illusion of a loan. And it's not about the money in your transaction. It's about the foreclosure sale, which indirectly confirms the securitization structure, which gives the appearance as though some securitization vehicle owns these loans in a portfolio. The portfolio doesn't exist, and there are no loans, and whatever uh, is involved in your transaction, it's not owned by the securitization vehicle or anybody representing the securitization vehicle, which would be like a remix trust or whatever. But they are instructed to get you to sign documents that masquerade as a legitimate modification or forbearance, just like they managed to convince you to sign documents to create the illusion of a loan. Now, Keep in mind, I'm an, I am an attorney, and I'm licensed to practice in the state of Florida and the federal courts, but I'm not engaged to represent you as your attorney of record. If you are engaging in settlement discussions, you must either engage local counsel, which is preferable, uh, to speak with opposing counsel or advise opposing counsel that you're not represented. Otherwise, they won't talk to you. 
I usually advise people not to take any settlement discussion seriously until they've received the third final offer. Sometimes there's more than three final offers. The main problem for homeowners who end up in mediation or settlement discussions is that they are perceiving their transaction as a loan while the other side is perceiving the transaction simply as a critical component of a securitization scheme, a house of cards. If you end up with a final judgment or any order that says that the securitization is or was a sham, they stand to lose billions of dollars, not just the amount of money in your personal transaction, and that's your leverage. A loan could be part of a securitization scheme if the necessary disclosures were made and there were some changes in the law allowing, for example, the arbitrary appointment of a designated creditor in lieu of a real creditor. That would change uh, uh, Article 9, Section 203 as adopted by all U.S. jurisdictions. It could be done. But it wasn't disclosed, and so it may fairly be said that the homeowner intends to be in one deal while the counterparty intends to be in an entirely different deal. The meeting of the minds either never occurred or it was thwarted, frustration of performance, when securitization of data about the transaction occurred. There never was a sale of the actual ownership of the promise to pay that was issued by the homeowner. I know that's hard to believe, but good news, you need to use it, not prove it. That's the point of all the strategies that I propose. Use it, don't try to prove anything. You can undermine their claim and win without proving some element of damages against them. You have plenty of causes of action that actually are meritorious, but that gets you into a whole other area. The homeowner is seeking a loan deal while the counterparty is simply a sales agent for an undisclosed third-party investment banker who has no intention of being a lender and is only interested in the sale of unregistered, unregulated securities in which investors deposited money with the investment bank and bought nothing. Even the promise that the investment bank issues to the investors is a discretionary promise. There is no meeting of the minds in such circumstances, and under the law that means that regardless of what was written down, there is no enforceable contract. But because it was written down, the burden falls on the homeowner to reveal the absence of a foundation to support any claim for enforcement of the loan deal. And as I have repeatedly pointed out, this does not mean actually proving anything, but rather means finding ways to test the truth of the matter asserted in the false fabricated documents that were created and used for the purpose of foreclosing on the property. The mistake made by both homeowners and lawyers who are not knowledgeable about securitization is that they undervalue the potential settlement because their reference point is the value of the loan or the value of the property. 
But the opposition does not care about the value of the loan. The opposition does not even maintain a loan account receivable. And contrary to popular belief, the so-called payment history that is presented to you by the so-called servicer is not and never has been a loan account receivable. That's an entirely different thing. A loan account receivable is not the same as a payment history. The opposing side is looking at the situation as to the value of your threat to the investment bank scheme of securitization. If you win the case, they really don't care unless the judgment recites findings of fact that undermines the house of cards that they call securitization. After reviewing thousands of these situations, I have come to the conclusion that there is no meaningful settlement for homeowners unless there is a meaningful threat to the investment bank scheme of securitization. I've done hundreds of settlements where we came at them based on that premise, a threat to their scheme of securitization. That means undermining the the illusion that the lawyer is representing, for example, U.S. Bank as trustee of the XYZ Trust when the lawyer has had no contact with U.S. Bank. It means undermining the idea that U.S. Bank has any ownership or control over any aspect of the homeowner's transaction which means that anything that the so-called servicer has to say is irrelevant. There is no meaningful threat to the scheme of securitization unless it appears more likely than not that the named claimant, plaintiff, or beneficiary under a deed of trust will be revealed as lacking adequate evidence that would serve as a legal foundation for the claim. So the presumption is when they present the documents that the documents are authentic and valid. But if you ask them for the truth of the matters asserted in the documents, such as for value received, etc., they'll never be able to answer your question and they will argue against their uh, responsibility for or compliance with that request. They will say they don't have to answer that, but they do. And that's specifically set forth in the statute that I just mentioned that's adopted in all U.S. jurisdictions, modeled on Article 9, Section 203 of the Uniform Commercial Code. Such a revelation would endanger the entire value of the securitization scheme, usually in excess of $1 billion, with a B. In the absence of that threat, the value of your challenge drops to zero. And that's why they offer puny settlements, cash for keys, that kind of thing. They have already covered the amount that they paid you at the supposed closing through the sales of securities to investors. Whether you win or lose in litigation, it does not matter to them unless they are faced with findings of fact and conclusions of law that the securitization vehicle is a sham. 
without a credible threat to the securitization plan, you are only going to get an offer that consists entirely of granting you permission to apply for a modification which may or may not be granted by a party who has no right to grant or deny the application or even consider it. They have no such right because they do not represent anyone who owns the underlying obligation pursuant to Article 9, Section 203 of the UCC, which requires payment of value for the underlying obligation. They also have no such right because they are not a servicer. They they neither collect nor disperse payments from homeowners, nor do they make payments to investors. All of that is presumed in their in their presentation but you have every right to say okay show me show me how you deposit monies from homeowners show me how you make payments to investors show me that you're really a servicer that undermines not only their their claim to being a servicer but it also undermines a key component of every foreclosure the, the so-called records of the company claiming to be a servicer are business records that are an exception to the hearsay rule unless you show that they're not the servicer and that somebody else is making the actual deposits and disbursements. Then whatever they're showing you is a report of a report. That's what undermines the illusion of the securitization vehicle and all their claims. There are no investors who paid value in exchange for ownership of the underlying obligation. Anyone who did pay value did so without receiving ownership, and they they paid for a different purpose. That's also on the blog. Anyone who received some indication of ownership of the debt did not pay value. So neither one of them is a proper claimant. And none of them receives payments directly or indirectly from homeowners. If the application is granted, it will be some minor alteration of the promise to pay along with the acknowledgement of the homeowner and release of all claims and defenses to the hidden new lender, even though they do not in any way qualify as a creditor in terms of legal requirements, moral grounds, or ethical grounds. And by the way, the, the hidden new lender is the company claiming to be a servicer and they are acting not on behalf of, for example, U.S. Bank as trustee for the XYZ Trust, but in reality as agent for an intermediary for the investment bank. That's what's really happening. This does not mean that the investment bank owns your obligation, note or mortgage. They don't, and they don't maintain any entry on their books that says they do. 
if there is a court order requiring mediation, that's an important opportunity to reveal the lack of authority of the participating parties in the foreclosure attempt. Mediation orders always require the parties to appear at mediation with full authority to settle any and all claims and defenses. <coughs> Normally, the only parties that appear at mediation in the foreclosure context are the attorney who is a coverage attorney or somebody who works directly for the foreclosure mill and some designated representative of a company that call, that is calling itself a servicer. By accepting these people as adequate representatives to appear at mediation, you might be construed to have tacitly admitted to the existence of the claim, the ownership of the claim, and the authority to administer, collect, or enforce it. In fact, none of the people at that table have any such powers or rights, nor do you owe any duty to any of them. But by challenging the representatives as to whether or not they have full authority to settle the matter, to settle the, the entire matter as required by the order of mediation, which is sometimes modified by an administrative order, you can terminate the mediation by just simply announcing that, take control, and file a motion for sanctions for failure of the plaintiff to appear. That'll make the other side go wild. But you'll be making headway. So, for example, if the plaintiff or beneficiary is named as U.S. Bank, then an officer or employee of U.S. Bank is required to appear. The first mistake of homeowners occurs when, when they or their attorney accept a party claiming agency powers. Don't accept that. Don't assume it's true. Aquin usually sends or has a person call in who pretends to be an authorized agent of Aquin, not an authorized agent of U.S. Bank or whoever the named claimant is. And they want you to accept that Aquin is the authorized agent for U.S. Bank. In truth, none of that is true. Aquin is not an authorized agent for U.S. Bank because neither of them have any ownership or powers over any assets owned by uh, U.S. Bank as it relates to your loan. The presence of a, a power of attorney or even a servicing agreement means absolutely nothing unless U.S. Bank actually owns loans. And the only way it actually owns loans is if it pays for it or if there's some settlor or trustor that paid for it. If there was no loan in the first place or if there is no current underlying obligation, anything that U.S. Bank says or that Aquin says or the representative of Aquin says is irrelevant. This is black-letter law, which is not up for dispute or argument or debate. You don't actually need to master the legal analysis that I'm explaining here. Don't get nervous. You don't have to become a lawyer. You simply need to understand that at mediation, there is no case in which the named claimant actually makes an appearance, and that's what you need to attack. 
I want U.S. Bank here. I want Bank of New York Mellon here. If there is any plan of, uh, of securitization at the forefront or in the background of the transaction, U.S. Bank, Bank of New York Mellon, or whoever is not going to appear, and they're going to fight to the death any attempt to get an order that forces them to appear. Because U.S. Bank and Bank of New York Mellon have only agreed to lease out their name for use as window dressing for the foreclosure. They have not agreed and have specifically uh, contracted for indemnification and protection that they will never have to appear in court. So that's the weak point. That's what to press. Since there have been no findings of fact that Aquin, for example, was actually providing servicing function, and that and there has been no finding of fact that Aquin has any authority to administer, collect, or enforce any obligation, the appearance of an Aquin representative is not the appearance of the named claimant unless you waive that argument then they do become a representative of the named claimant. And there are other assumptions regarding the existence and authority over the debt that will arise from that. And that's what the investment banks are doing. That's why they're using Aquin or SPS or Specialized Loan Servicing or whoever. So if you start associating with them, you're basically accepting them as a servicer, which means that by implication, you're accepting that you're representing, that they are representing the owner of the alleged debt, which means that you are admitting that the debt exists and U.S. Bank owns it. None of those things are true. But by admitting it, you have cooked your own goose because the court is forced to accept your admission. Your promise to pay is not an asset of U.S. Bank as trustee nor in any other capacity. The only way that would be true is if U.S. Bank had paid value for the underlying obligation or had received ownership of the underlying obligation from someone who had paid value for it. Judges don't like it when their orders are not obeyed, and that's the point of this program regardless of their bias as to the subject matter of the litigation. So ask who is appearing as authorized representative of, in our example, U.S. Bank with full authority to settle on behalf of U.S. Bank? In most cases, you will get an evasive answer justifying termination of the mediation followed by your motion for sanctions for the failure of the claimant, U.S. Bank, to appear. Without proof, the appearance of a designated representative of a company claiming to be a servicer is not the appearance of the designated plaintiff or beneficiary. This is an interesting opportunity to reveal, without the use of legal discovery, the absence of any participation by that plaintiff, U.S. Bank, or that beneficiary, U.S. Bank, uh, whether you're talking judicial or non-judicial. It serves as a foundation for all your future objections and challenges. In the usual case, the judge will deny or reserve ruling on your motion for sanctions for the failure of the plaintiff to appear or the failure of plaintiff to appear through a representative. In fact, 
the maximum authority is always limited to the presentation of an application for modification, which may or may not be granted. At the point in time where mediation occurs, there are no findings of fact. The entire case is a bluff. The judge will ordinary, ordinarily reserve ruling and, all, and send all parties back to mediation along with a specific order in which the foreclosure mill must produce the client with an authorized representative who can accept a cash offer or any other kind of offer. A good way of testing this is to ask if the representative could accept a cash payment on the day of mediation for the amount demanded. The answer will surprise you. The answer will be that they would have to make a telephone call, but most mediation orders require the representatives to already have the authority to make the call on any settlement. So your defense is worth millions or zero. If you assume your defensive claims are worth more than the initial transaction, you're likely to end up in a far better place than if you admitted that it was a loan transaction after all. That's it for tonight, folks. Thanks for joining me. See you next week. The opinions expressed on The Neil Garfield Show are those of its hosts and should not be ascribed to any other persons or entities. For more information about Neil, the blog, or upcoming seminars, please visit livinglies.me. Give us a call at 954-451-1230 or send an email to n-e-i-l-f-g-a-r-f-i-e-l-d at hotmail.com. Thank you for listening to The Neil Garfield Show. If the information has helped you, consider making a donation by visiting livinglies.me.